I really enjoy the book of Titus. I, uh, <laughs> for a three-page book, there's a lot of important teaching for us. Three pages. That means there's no excuse for not reading Titus from beginning to end over the next week, each day. It'll be helpful. You know, I looked in as I started to prepare for this message. I looked in my Bible and I hadn't noticed it. But now I've had for many years a Bible with a big wide margin. It's about that wide. Allows me to write little notes in from things that I've studied or things that I've heard or things that, things that seem to be important to me. And I looked at this and there, it, my Bible is just covered with these things. And Titus, I mean, it, there are, there, I, don't, I don't know that any longer books have more notes in them than Titus does. So I, I think I'm thinking that it's, that's a good thing. You know, I got, there's a lot of things over many years that I learned about Titus. But, you know, as I looked at Titus and thought about what to do about it, what to say about it, I look at it like a business letter. Business letters have directions in them. They've got a purpose to them. And I've written a lot of these over a lengthy and checkered career. And it, they start off and end just about the same way as Titus does. First thing happens is you, you've got to tell the person that you're writing to who you are and why they ought to pay attention. <laughs> and sometimes you haven't got many good reasons for that, but you've, you've got to find something or, or they'll just ignore it completely. I, I think of the number of letters that over the years I've ignored completely. And generally it's because I look at it and I say, now who in the world is this writing, who's this writing to me? And why should I pay any attention to it? And if I don't recognize anything in it, I kind of give it the old circular file. Because I can't clog my busy day up with a whole bunch of things trying to please everybody in sight. Uh, but that's kind of the outline of Titus. Because that's, uh, that's really the way this thing comes out. Now, I've... I learned that early in my career. I was very thankful for that. I went, uh, when I started to, with, I've, I've worked for companies over the years. When I started with mobile oil, that was a surprise to me that I ended up in mobile oil. I started out in a steel mill, and uh, that wasn't working well in, my, in the young people's group in the assembly. Because they, they always told you in the steel mill, oh, you're, you'll be on a swing shift. Not a problem. You, you work on a, a varied schedule, and you get about a week off. And it didn't take me long to realize that I never was going to get the week off. There was always some reason why I needed to be there. They needed an engineer for something or other. And I'm not sure that was important. But in the meantime, I had been on a day shift, an afternoon shift, a night shift, which is not a good way to live. And I was trying to be involved with the young, with the young people's group there at the assembly, too, and made it hard to plan anything. So 
there I was. I was in a, in a, as opposed to a steel mill, I was in a civilized company for the first time. And it wasn't long that I was there. And the Lord just allowed a lot of things to happen. But suddenly, every division in our, in the company had to have a division industrial engineer. And we were in a market, I was in a marketing division. That means it was from the refinery down. We didn't refine, but we delivered everything they did. And there wasn't anybody that was in it. I was the closest thing they had to an industrial engineer. Somebody pulled out the paperwork and said, look, he's had a couple of classes in industrial engineering. <laughs> and that was the best, most qualified guy that they had. And suddenly I was named the division industrial engineer. Well, that was fine. I was doing things that you would expect an industrial engineer to do anyway in trying to work with the company. But there was a, a great man that was there in the headquarters where I got suddenly assigned. Elmer Baldwin, I never will forget the man's name. He was a... He was an older guy. He knew everything about transporting and storing petroleum products. Did you know that those, tank, those big tanks that you see when you drive, that that product shifts depending on the temperature? It shrinks. It expands. <laughs> and the roofs of those tanks are not of what you see. They're floating on top of the gasoline or whatever is in there. And that's to keep it from evaporating as much as possible. But it still changes. And so every once in a while there'd be a serious shift in the, what the inventory was in some plant. And Elmer Baldwin would come in and he'd figure out why it had changed and who had done what to who and if there was any anything going wrong in the company, Elmer Baldwin was there. And in the meantime, when he wasn't doing that, he was doing all sorts of reports that were deadly. And I wondered how in the world it went. And in the meantime, I got appointed the Division of Industrial Engineer, and it was a high-class deal because nobody knew what the Industrial Engineer was supposed to do. Somebody in New York had an idea, but we had just been told, get one. And so I was having a nice time. I was sitting there in a, in a desk at the headquarters. And one day, Elmer, and I, I would help him with these reports. Not that I liked it, but he needed help. So you'd have a stack of things, and you're picking out all of the something or others on it and putting them on it, trying to figure something out related to it. <laughs> And one day he came in and he said, Evan, listen, nobody knows what you're supposed to be doing. And if you don't decide what you should be doing and initiate things, they're going to find things for you to do, and it's going to look like my office with all these piles of paper and you're making a report on something that you didn't care about at all. And one of the things you've got to do is write letters. Write letters to people. And let me tell you how to do it. And he basically showed it. And, and, and let me tell you, when you write one to Mr. So-and-so, you better have Mr. A, B, and C as a comp, as a, getting a copy of it. If they don't get a, get a copy of it, and you just get him to do something, next thing you know, you find yourself in trouble. 
So business letter is really important and you got to know what you're doing. I'm indebted to him for that because I frankly, I could come in with, in with my letter to him and say, Elmer, what do you think about this one? And he would he said, well, I don't know that you should say that. You, you know, you might want to tone that down and expand your the need that you're trying to get filled. One of the best things I ever learned. And I think often, as I think of the way Elmer outlined that thing, that Titus is outlined about the same way. There's a lot of things that are packed in Titus. That's why I got all these notes on the side. There are principles that are stated and directions that are there that need to be taken seriously. And they're all a few, a few verses together. <laughs> so you've got to sort it out. Who's talking to who and what do they want done and so on. And I think it's a, it is an outline that we can see. Now let's read. The, you know, I'm only going to do the first four verses. So, you know, you're in for a concentrated deal here. Here's what it says. Paul, a bondservant of God, and an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the faith of those chosen of God, and the knowledge of the truth, which is according to godliness, in the hope of eternal life, which God, who cannot lie, promised long ages ago, but at the proper time manifested even his word in the proclamation with which I was entrusted according to the commandment of God our Savior, to Titus, my true child in the common faith, grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Savior. As you hear the little pieces of that, there's abundant theology in that whole, those few, first few verses. One of the interesting ones is God. That should be enough to say, but he went on to say, God who cannot lie. Now that's, a, that's a, a, a something you got to think about, about God. God always, always states the truth. And there are some times where you come to verses and you say, gee, I wonder why that's there. There's a reason. And it's part of the supernatural side of the scriptures. But as I would get a letter, I would look at it, and I'd say to myself, what authority does this person have to direct me? I'm the division industrial engineer, and nobody knows what I'm doing, so where does he get off trying to tell me what to do? I would ask myself, what's the need that this letter supplies? Is there something there in it for me? Is he made, making any commitments and uh, trying to get me connected with something else? And those were the things, those were important things to me as I read a letter. And if the answer to both of those was no, nothing, zero, forget it, I forgot it. And I never got into trouble forgetting those kind of letters. But, there are ones that you have to follow. Why should we follow this direction from Titus in our lives, from Paul to Titus for our lives? Why should we follow him? Why should we worry about it? And I, Paul, a bondservant of God 
and an apostle of Jesus Christ. Now, that's his title uh, that he gives himself. That's what he says to introduce himself in a letter that he's writing to Titus that he expects is going to be fulfilled in the island of Crete. And he says, Here's, I'm the, this, is, this is the one that I'm writing. And he doesn't say, I'm one of the important people that God has designated to uh, go talk, to present the gospel. He says, Paul, a bondservant of God. Now, that's not something that's expanding his influence. He's basically saying, Paul, a slave of God, a servant of God. That's all I am. That's what, I, that's what he puts in there as the most important element that people should listen to what he is saying to Titus, a servant of God. And I think that's a, that has a, a really good application for us. Paul was well known. He was probably the greatest missionary the world has ever seen. And God blessed his work. And his very name was authoritative. And he starts out with Paul. So he says, here's who's sending this. It's me, Paul. But then, you know, he fills people in on who he is. He's a slave of Jesus Christ. What he's trying to do is all the purpose of Jesus Christ in his entire life. Now, his name was authoritative. He was an educated Pharisee, going into this, he was probably the most biblical of all of the apostles. And he, he, would, uh, he was educated at, the, at Gamaliel College, <laughs> which had a high reputation in terms of the education program that was going on there as Gamaliel, the teacher, uh, taught the Jewish people. He knew the Bible. It was clear that he did. And he was an apostle. What's an apostle? Well, apostle is a limited title. It is a person who is sent by Jesus Christ himself. And you remember that. Now, a lot happened to Paul in one, one moment when he was stricken with a great light on his way to Damascus. Wham! He's down on the ground looking up at his donkey. <laughs> And he wondered what in the world had happened. The other people hadn't been affected in that way, but they knew that Paul had been affected. They heard a voice from heaven, but it wasn't clear. They didn't get the message. Paul got the message. Remember what it was? Paul, Paul, how come you're persecuting me? Paul says, who are you, Lord? And he was told, I'm Jesus. And Paul, and Paul believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. He was converted instantaneously. And the very voice said to him, well, I've got some things to say to you. I've got some directions for you. So get on with it. Go out into town. You'll find somebody who will help you with your sight. Because he was blinded. So he was sent by God. That made him an apostle. 
and he recognized God's authority. But it, it is an elite title because apostles no longer exist. There are those that think their church system exists and they are apostolic, they would say, but I don't think that's, the, that's really the idea. So what else did he say? For the faith of those chosen of God. Is there any theology involved in that one? As a question comes right to mind, what's this chosen business? What's election? That's what's being said there. That God chose every one of you that knows the Lord as your personal Savior. That's really what it says. He's, got a, he's talking of the faith of those chosen by God and the knowledge of the truth, which is according to godliness. He had a big job. He was directed at the time of his conversion to travel and deal with people, with people that he had been trying to kill, trying to persecute out of existence. He went on to say, in the hope of eternal life, which God, who cannot lie, <laughs> I love that little phrase, promised long, long ago. God can't lie. So what did God promise? I mean, if you find a promise of God in the scriptures, you can count on it. He can't lie. And he doesn't lack any power to do anything that he has promised to do. Are there any promises that you rely on? I find that there are quite a few. These people that were getting this letter were aware of the timing of the promise of the Lord as well as waiting for his return. Now, that's a promise by God. He is going to return. He's coming back. It's called the rapture. That's the next event in, the, in, the, in really the calendar of God as he deals with mankind. And these people believed him. And, but at the proper time, and there's a little theology of that too, because who is it that determines the time that the Lord's coming back? And he said, the Father's the one that's going to determine this. That's a promise. The Lord's coming back. When? God will let him know. God the Father will let him know. He didn't give up the authority that is his as in the, in the Trinity. With which the God in the proclamation with which I was entrusted according to the commandment of God our Savior. That's quite a statement that Paul is not. Do you pick up the points of theology that come in, come in this whole thing? God can't lie, and he's made communicated promises. There is, there is a faith that is possessed by the people that are chosen of God. And that has given a lot of problems 
a lot of problems to the church. Because how do you know who's chosen? When you come right down to it, how do you know who's saved? You look at their life and you determine that there's, there's a difference. And if they have a testimony as far as God is concerned, you're pretty confident in saying, you know, I know, he's, I know they're saved. They are believers. And Paul was given that message. It was entrusted to him. Because no one else was going to do it. Paul had to do it. And why, you know, that message is entrusted to people today. It's entrusted to us. Why do we fund missionaries? Why do we encourage people to go? Why do we, we encourage people to preach? Because the message of the gospel has been entrusted to us, just as it was to Paul. So here was a well-known man writing to Titus with the full expectation that this this little little letter, this business letter, if you would, was going to be communicated to others. They were all aware of the same things that we are aware of. Because we have, you know, it's an amazing thing that God gave us this book. And we can read it, and every word of it is true. Every promise of, promise of it of the word that is stated that we can read about and understand is going to happen. Some of them look good. We can't wait for them to happen. Others of those promises don't look so good. And they're going to happen too. Almost everything has consequences and a accountability that is given to us. Those of us that know the Lord Jesus as our Savior have, a, have promises that we expect to be true. And to the extent that, we, extent that we trust and obey, we confirm those promises. And they're going to happen. I can talk to you as one who has lost his oldest son. I haven't lost them. I'm going to be re rejoined to them. That truth, that promise of God is what carried us through that day, those bleak days. I mean, we miss Brian and are aware that we miss him. And yet then you think, what, what do you think? Well, I'm, I'm looking forward to getting reunited with him one of these days. And I could never wish him back because he's with the Lord. Now that's, that is, that was a huge, huge comfort. It kept me from crying, my, crying the blues the whole, for years afterwards. I couldn't do that because I knew that he was better off than I was. I knew him to be a believer and, a, and saved. And the same is true here, that Paul was sent by Jesus Christ. He was an apostle of Jesus Christ, sent with a message.
his connection to the Lord directly was confirmed by miracles in his life. He was able to do supernatural things. He wasn't, didn't devote himself to that at all, but the, the success of the gospel presented by Paul is obvious, and the church just mushroomed out largely from the ministry of the Apostle Paul. There's a limited number of authoritative people. All of the apostles were told from history, separated, and went different directions. I'm told, I didn't witness this, but I'm told that this included Thomas. You remember Thomas, doubting Thomas? I'm not going to believe unless I can put my fingers into the holes in his hand. You people have been, you, the rest of you birds have been taken in. Well, the Lord appeared again, said, Hey, Thomas, come over here. Reach out and put your finger in this hole and put your fist into the side where there's a great big gouge from that spear. And don't be doubting, but believe. And <laughs> Thomas never looked back. And I'm told that the mission, his missionary message and preaching went all the way to India. Also to Kerala. I'll probably mispronounce all of this, but there are, there, part of the history there includes the visitation and the presence of the Apostle Thomas. That's a long trip back in those days. You weren't getting on a plane and sitting for 12 hours or whatever it was. That was a dangerous, huge, but he just had to push his way out on the frontier. And the Lord blessed it. And we have some wonderful friends right here in the assembly that are a result of that coming to know the Lord Jesus Christ. No more doubting for Thomas. There should be no doubting for us either. And apparently, the Lord personally informed Paul and his conversion that he had a ministry role for him. Here's what you need to do. This is the experience that made him so convinced of his authority. And he directed in the book of Titus what needed to be done. Let's look at a few of the important details. Because that's really what you need to, when you find a book that is three pages long in my Bible anyway. I don't mean how many pages are devoted in yours, but mine it's covered in three pages. And they're short. And everything's short about them. But you got to look at every word. Because every word conveys a meaning. Ideally, you would look at it in Greek. <laughs> I've tried that. And I've learned a few things about Greek that I, were a surprise to me. And it, I always thought it was sort of English with an absolutely clear definition. <laughs> and it's not. You get these things, and, and the passage is interpreted kind of all the way through, and it's interpreted by the 
tense of verbs and all kinds of tricky stuff. And we had a good teacher here. And if nothing came across to me as, as vigorously as why Greek was not what I had expected it to be, because I had expected it to be something where I could look at a passage and I know exactly what it means. And I could put my fist down and thump it and just stick with that and on I'd go. It's not quite that simple. It still gives you some ponderables, like chosen people, election, predestination. (laughs) I'm an old-fashioned Presbyterian deep down in my history. From the time I was a little kid, I was a, a, a sucking up truth from the Presbyterians. And I want you to want to be sure that they, you know, that they believe in election. That every believer in the Lord Jesus Christ is chosen by God. And they're right. I've got some other friends, very good friends, that I know to be believers. And their, their verse is to say that Whosoever will may come and say, where's the, where's the chosen in that? Means whosoever will. God so loved the world. And whosoever will is a, you know, they're right too. And where those two things join is just about the same place as where parallel lines join together. If you're thinking mathematics, it's infinity. God reconciles those two things, but both of them are true. So don't, I learned not to rise up on my hind legs and be too emphatic about one or the other, because they're both true. And I think that's, that's really important to understand. And here, here, I mean, we're just in the first four verses. <laughs> and we got election predestination here. We got the character of God who never lies. We've got all sorts of truths about God which we will find in the rest of the Bible as we read it. Not quite as concentrated as it is in Titus because here we are. We're putting all this together in three, three chapters, three pages, and there's just a lot to learn. Supernatural is there. It's a supernatural event every time a person believes. Every time a person accepts Christ, we are transferred out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. And there's nothing that happens. I mean, we don't, do, don't have a glorious halo that comes down over the top of us or something. We can't always see that immediately. Sometimes it's a matter of growth and it takes quite a little while for us to understand it. But it's true. And it should be a source of confidence for us as believers that we are both chosen and we chose. But they're not two separate things. I... You know, you've, you've heard my testimony many times. But I just, 
I just kind of was going along very nicely as, as a Presbyterian. You know, they have a big standard for living lives. They want to, they, they want to see a godly person. They want to listen to a godly person. And people are not always godly. Even people that say that they are believers. Sometimes there's some doubts that crop up if you were looking purely at their lives. But there's a new understanding of the truth of God that cannot lie, and it's understood by every new believer. And I I knew that way. But I just never could see myself <laughs> bringing that into this world. That was good for the supernatural about God. But there came a day where I knew that it had to come into this world. It had to come into my heart. It was a choice that I had to make. And that choice would devote itself to my life. And I finally did. And it wasn't because I got educated. Nobody was talking to me. It was a time of prayer. And the Holy Spirit spoke to me. And said, here it is, boy. And I was a, I was a young man at the time. I was young. But here it is. Do you believe it or don't you? And if you do, it's for eternity. So you've got to continue in it. Trust and obey is a good hymn to sing at the start of this service. We need to commit ourselves to the study of the word. Because I can assure you, if you know and memorize, I mean, Titus can be memorized. <laughs> You're down to three pages to memorize. That's, that can be, I know people that have memorized the Psalms for crying out loud. That's a big, big capacity memory. I think it's beyond me. It certainly is at this age. But this one, you could memorize. And it's worthwhile looking at each one and thinking about them. Thinking about them hard. Because they are true. As Paul wrote them to Titus. So we need to study the word. The Bible is to become an anchor to us in the midst of a confusing world. A world of worldly ideas. We are assailed with worldly ideas. With the imagination of people who suddenly decide natural law really doesn't apply. It shouldn't. We're going to live, we're going to do whatever we want. What we want, not what God has said is true. And God can't lie. So when you start reading the Bible and really looking at it, you've got to look at it differently. I look at it differently than any other book I read. I have read, and I've read a lot of books, a lot of books. Law school is all about all about reading books and understanding them, briefing cases, and all these kinds of things. I've read them. There's only one book that I read openly, knowing that I don't have to interpret it for myself, and that's the Bible. Because whatever the Bible says, that's it. As far as I'm concerned, I may need to look at the language. I may need to think of and compare verses. 
before I'm really anchored in it. But that's what we're supposed to do. So read your Bible. And that becomes my anchor in the midst of a world that hasn't got an anchor. The anchor chain has been cut and the world in searching for truth has been drifting around looking for it all over the place and different people will grab something and put it forward. That isn't, that doesn't make it true. The only person, one person is God who cannot lie. He's the truth. And that's where we find the truth. The Bible is to become our anchor in the midst of that. We can expect results coming directly from the Lord as he's, pardon me, promised. We've received a great mystery as believers. And that is that the Holy Spirit has taken up resident within us. Now, I've thought about that. I don't know how to explain the Holy Spirit. But it's God himself resident within us, and he speaks to us, if you'll listen. And sometimes the, you, it, my experience has been you don't understand it the first time you hear it. But it's a quiet word that comes to you, and you're a changed person. Believers are changed people, and we can rely on what the Holy Spirit says to us. All of this is according to godliness, it says. Right there at the end of verse 1. The knowledge of the truth which is according to godliness. Now that's a good one to turn over and over in your mind. Truth is one thing. But what is the truth that's according to godliness? That's what we've got to remember. That's what we've got to follow. That's what we've got to obey. And the Holy Spirit has been given to us as a, as a not, not just an intellectual change, but it's the truth. And it's changed lives. It's changed our lives. And Christianity is observed by the world. It's not accepted, but it's observed. And the truth of it is confirmed by the Holy Spirit. And it's the hope of eternal life. If you're a believer today, that's your hope. Eternal life. And your hope is there because of what has been confirmed in what you read in the Bible. Eternal life has been promised to us by God who cannot lie and will not lie. So we need to take a little time out to visit the truth that comes from the scriptures. And that's not easy. That's not, not always, <laughs> you know, it's not self-evident. It takes study and thought and comparisons. And you need to think about the word of God. Verse 3 expands a little bit. At the proper time, manifested even his word in the proclamation with which I was entrusted, the Apostle Paul, according to the commandment of God our Savior. It wasn't evident to him. It was entrusted to him. 
Paul was highly educated, but he went on to biblical revelation. And revelation anchored his life. And he had courage that, well, was just unbelievable. He didn't take that statement lightly. And it's, Paul was commanded to preach the word. And he did. And he was probably one of the most effective preachers ever. He was entrusted with the proclamation. So he wasn't just speaking from his own opinion. He wasn't talking about what, uh, how you should think about humanity and yourself. He was entrusted with a message which was direct, came from the undeniable authority of God himself. And God, our Savior, was in the form of a commandment to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. That's a promise and a commandment. There was no opportunity for Paul to dilute that proclamation, was there? It was just clear. And God the Father sent his son and delivered a commandment to Paul to preach that message, the good news of the gospel. And Paul, Paul did that. And in the process, he was promised eternal life as far as the Son was concerned. And that the Word was manifested as being published. Not changed, but published. The confidence of eternal life is a possession of the believer. It's his hope. It's going to be seen in the confidence of every believer in our future and in the future of every other believer. That's a truth when we discover, when we lose a loved one. You discover how practical that is in this world of various problems. All of us will have face, face death in our life. Not everyone happily will face the death of their children. Right now, Abe and Joyce are facing that issue. We need to pray for them. But there's a personal collect connection with Titus. Titus, look at verse 4. To Titus, my true child in a common faith. He doesn't think that his was exclusive. Titus had the same faith that Paul did. In our common faith, grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Savior. That was what went to Titus. Be peaceful. Now, he didn't write the rest of this to establish peace. He had assignments for Titus. And they're fairly clear, and we're going to be looking at them as we look at the book of Titus. He was obviously a person who the Lord and Paul had a lot of confidence in. I think he had a great personal appearance. I think he had a great delivery of what he believed. And I think that was going to be used. But Paul said he's his true child. 
Now that indicates that probably Paul was involved when Titus was saved. And he was very much convinced of Titus' salvation. There was a lot of heat generated around that time as to whether a person needed to be a, become a Jew if they were really going to be a Christian. Because after all, the Lord was a Christian. After all, the Lord looked, up, looked at the Bible. So why should that person, that Gentile, who accepts Christ, not have to conform to the law? There's some logic to that. And it was being preached by Judaizers, by people who said that was essential. And Paul, in the early stages of his ministry, said, that's wrong. God does not make any other requirements other than faith in Jesus Christ. That's the message that I have in the gospel. Very firm. Separated him from much of Judaism. Hmm. Only faith in the person of Jesus Christ was required. There was no different from the faith that we enjoy today. And we don't have to conform to Judaism. We really conform to what the Bible has to say. And then he said, says to him, Grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Savior. It shows both the regard of Paul for Titus and the source of confidence that is being pronounced as a blessing by him on Titus. Have peace. Grace and peace. Minister grace. And Titus was an unusual person. He was a Gentile. He was not a circumcised Gentile. That would have indicated that he had conformed to the Judaistic stuff. He didn't. Paul didn't say that he should. And Paul took him right to Jerusalem. It's what makes me think that Titus must have been an impressive person. Because nobody seems to have objected to this uncircumcised Gentile being in the presence of the center of Judaism and the source of the Christian gospel. Rather, he would say grace to him and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And you know, that's what we get in our benediction as well. We get grace. There is no claim that we can make that really would, would cause us to think that we have to conform to a legalistic structure. We conform to the direction of the Holy Spirit. We conform to what the Bible has to say. And we believe we're right. And we're a little group. But we sure do have a commitment to the Bible. And we should. But to us, in the midst of our firmness, God says to us, grace to you and peace. And we should be gracious as we present the gospel. Paul was, and we should be as well. 
Well, that's the start of Titus. A couple of verses. <laughs> I think you'll agree with me that there's a lot in four verses there. And we're going to discover that there's a lot in each of the sections of Titus. I think I figured that out early. That's where all my notes and margins came from. <laughs> and once upon a time in the past, I had a conference down in Florida, and I spent a whole weekend on Titus. So with three pages, there's a lot to learn. And I hope that you'll look forward to it, and I hope that you'll read Titus. Just read it. Three times, four times, whatever you can do. doesn't take that long. But there's a lot to think about, too. Let's close in a word of prayer. Father, we're thankful for your word. We're thankful for the, really, the clarity of it, particularly here in Titus. And we pray that we might take it seriously, that we might look at ourselves and apply these things to ourselves. Lord, Strengthen us. Give us a firm grip on grace and peace, as was the benediction to Titus. And help us to honor you in a fallen world. We commit ourselves to you for the remainder of the day now, Lord, and just ask for your blessing and help. In Jesus' name, amen. I've got to use this chair just to encourage Mickey. Where'd it go? There it is.